I love it when the band fades and some of you pick up that melody and some of you are like throwing little runs in there, here and there. It's like, that is so awesome to hear you guys sing. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you are new, welcome. If Sunridge is your home, welcome. If you're just listening online, you're welcome as well. Uh, we're a church that it's okay to not be okay because we know that uh, with God, everything's possible. And we're so glad that you're here. Uh, thanks a lot for coming. If you'll take a seat. Um, you know, this is a pretty tight community in this valley, and I don't know if you heard or not, but uh, a student from the valley was tragically killed uh, yesterday in a car accident, and uh, they attended um, uh, Calvary Chapel School in Marietta, and obviously, I mean, it's like, as a parent, I connect to that, like, who, it's like the worst phone call you could ever get as a I think about all the families that has affected. Some of you are here this morning, and your kids were friends with some of these uh, students that are also still in the hospital. It's just such a tragedy. And so just to start our service today, I just ask that um, we bring uh, this family that lost their daughter and the others that are still uh, fighting, and, of course, the families that have been affected by this. We just want to lift you up. And uh, so uh, would you just join me in your hearts in prayer as we pray for them? God, um, our, our hearts just go out to family that's lost a daughter and those that are, that are hanging on. And their, their lives just change in a minute, in a second. We, we claim promises at times like this where you said that you're close to the brokenhearted and that you can be trusted and that your grace is sufficient even though in this moment it seems like it's just about to run out in the next second or two. God, would you just intervene and be in, 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 tangibly close to this family? For, the, for those that are, are still struggling for their lives, I pray that you would intervene there and give the doctors wisdom in treating them. For everybody that's left behind and their hearts are suffering, right? That they, that they just sense a closeness with you and they'd be able to lean on you in a way that they haven't ever imagined that they would have to. And that there would be a sense in their hearts that, that you are there and you're a strong rock and we can build our lives upon you. We ask these prayers in just the most earnest way, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me in that prayer, and uh, as you continue to remember these families, would you uh, pray for them uh, during the week? Uh, when I was a kid uh, in elementary school, and yes, they did have elementary school in my day. It wasn't a one-room schoolhouse. Um, we used to have recess and P.E., every day. Now, do they still have P.E. every day if you're in elementary school or not? I heard that went away. Music went away, but P.E. still rocking? Okay, good. It's my favorite class in school, always has been. And, um, you know, they'd get you out there on the field, and you get ready to play a game, and they had to get these little squirrely elementary school teachers organized, so they would put you in a circle, and you would hold hands. Do you remember this? You'd be in a circle, especially if it was a circle game, and uh, that would be that would be calming enough, but then sometimes they had to make more room 
between the students, right? So what would you do? We used to like blow. They'd say, okay, everybody take a deep breath and blow the circle up. And you back up. Did anybody, anybody do that? Or was it just... Okay. I'm alone. Thanks for leaving me out there on the limb, folks. You could have just jumped in and with some solidarity live in the power of the Holy Spirit to support me, but that's okay. And uh, so we would stretch it out. And then sometimes they'd even make you blow it up a little more to make room for other players. And, and you'd have to let go and, and step back. And I think that that picture, even though it wasn't part of your experience because your school is a loser school, um, <laughs> is that it's a beautiful picture of how God uses relationships in our lives to affect other people. Uh, we're in a series called Tenacious Love. And the thoughts are taken from what Jesus said in John 15, 12, when he says, I command you to love one another as I have loved you. Now, undoubtedly, that statement and Jesus' love for others could be described as tenacious. And we've been talking about what tenacious love means. Jesus' love was so tenacious that it held on when most people would let go And Jesus' love reached toward people that were outside of our typical comfort zone. In the past few weeks, we've talked about how that loving this way is only possible if we depend upon God and His Spirit fills us. And we've talked about how a mother's love, what, what we could learn from moms about God's love, And then last week, Jed talked about how tenacious love holds on and some of the things that keep us from holding on. And today, I want to talk about reaching toward others in tenacious love. And this is our main thought today. Tenacious love reaches toward the other. Now, when I say the other, I'm talking about people that are different from us, people that aren't normally in our circle, that maybe we're a little uncomfortable around. You know, those people. And if I could take you back to elementary school again, you remember when sometimes your teacher or a circumstance would put you in proximity to the other. And you would say, ooh, don't let them sit next to me. They, they smell funny. She has braces. He talks funny. He looks different. Now, when we talk about loving the other and loving outside our comfort zone, I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, I'm going to make you uncomfortable today, and that's going to be on purpose. But I want you to still love me. And if you're not a Christian, maybe some of what I'll talk about will will help you identify what even if you haven't been able to put words to it, like what, what might have been some obstacles for you? What are obstacles for you embracing faith? Because maybe you've experienced Christians that didn't really show that kind of love. You know, the love of others or the other is often described in the Old Testament and the New as love for our neighbor. And this phrase, our neighbor, Uh, gives dignity to people that 
we typically wouldn't. And it also helps describe some of the responsibilities we have toward them. And in your note sheet, I've just listed some of the mandates you find in the Old Testament about loving your neighbor. We're to share with our neighbor. We're to love our neighbor, assure our neighbor's safety. We're not to slander our neighbor. We're to be honest with our neighbor. Our neighbor is owed fair wages and is due justice. We're to get along with our neighbors. We're not to plot against our neighbors. Uh, We shouldn't bear grudges against our neighbor. We should respect the property of a neighbor, and we should return the property of our neighbor. Even if it's a family member, you should return the property that you borrowed. We should show kindness to our neighbor. We shouldn't loan money to our neighbor. That might help you. Um, You shouldn't overstay your welcome with your neighbor. You shouldn't lie about or lie to your neighbor. You shouldn't be envious of your neighbor. And you should respect the land of your neighbor. These are just a few of the Old Testament mandates. But then we turn to the New Testament. And what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 36, he said, uh, he was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Then there's the words of Paul in Galatians 5.14, when he said the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the teachings and all the imagery depicting the neighbor says to us that our neighbor is due the same love in the same way as God shows to us. And love of God and love of our neighbor are inseparable. Now, if you're challenged by that, if, you, if you're overwhelmed by it, then you're listening. You're paying attention because it is impossible. And you know, when, we, when we're faced with something that pushes us beyond our comfort zone, one of the things that we do when we find something that seems beyond us, is we'll rationalize. And we'll find a loophole. Or we'll seek further advice. And that is exactly what an expert in the law did when he was confronted with loving others by Jesus. And in Luke 10, 25, we have the story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, I replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 28, Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You get a happy face on your chart, expert in the law. But do this and you will live. So you know it, now do it. And he's really on his game. He's really thinking. And in verse 29, he does what we would do. Seeking to justify himself, he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, he's finding a loophole. Do you see that? He's he's saying, okay, if I have to do these things that seem so impossible and so difficult, 
What's the list of qualifications for the person that obtains this level of love from me? Narrow my definition. Clear up who this neighbor is because it can't possibly be these people. And it's then that Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you know this story? Where Jesus tells a story about a man who falls victim to thieves and a Jewish priest and a Levite who's kind of in charge of the logistical uh, affairs of the temple, both religious, both devout followers of God. They walk by on the other side in the story. And yet this Samaritan person which is a half-breed, not a follower of God. The Samaritan helps the person. And then at the end of that story, in verse 36, Jesus asks the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So he said, you got the answer right. But you have to love your neighbor. And he says, well, can you narrow that definition for me? Where's, where's my out? And I want you to see what Jesus did here. Can you put that scripture back up? Can we go back to that? The man asked, who is my neighbor? And what did Jesus ask him? Who do you think was a neighbor? Do you see the difference? One question asked the ultimate, like, can you just narrow this down and make it easier for me? Give me a list. Who qualifies to be my neighbor? And Jesus says, that's not the question. The question you should ask is not who is my neighbor, the question to ask is, who was a neighbor? When we are faced with, with something so overwhelming to love somebody outside of our circle, as Jesus loved them, it's pretty easy to just kind of like create lists that excludes that person. Jesus says, that's the wrong question. The right question is, how can I be a neighbor? You see, this list, the expert in the law was very familiar with. And in his mind, he thought, it can't possibly be that you would ask me to, to love that person like this. Because they, they're not my neighbor, right? And this is what Jesus did. He constantly redefined neighbor for people because what had happened to those who were following the law and trying to love their neighbor is neighbor had become not a thing that, it, that compelled them to reach out. It became a thing that they used to narrow who could be in their circle. And so Jesus went out of his way constantly to redefine what their neighbor was. And I don't know if you noticed, but in the story, he even made the Samaritan a half-breed, someone who had been despised and not considered of religious quality enough to, tell, to, to be the one that stopped and helped the person. Jesus pushed that story so far in order to help them to see that 
your neighbor's much bigger than what you've been thinking. Because we can take these things. We can take big and overwhelming ideas that come from Jesus, and we can kind of work them and create rules and regulations that go with them that really narrow the field of who qualifies to receive this kind of love. We have the propensity to make a thing that was intended to push us beyond our limits and depend upon God and make it exclusionary so that it's easily doable by us. Let me give you an example. We, we turn something good into something that we use it for the wrong purpose, like love for your own child. Like, have you been to a sporting event of a kid or a, or a grandchild lately? Anybody? Okay, so we all know, right, that we're going there to see our kid. We want to see our kid play. As far as I'm concerned, my grandkids should always have the soccer ball, and everyone should get out of their way and let them score. And if they're goalieing, you don't even kick the ball at them because that's my grandchild. They're the champions. They're the winners of everything. But have you watched parents at these games? Like, they're, they're screaming. It's six-year-old soccer. And they're screaming, go, run with the ball, come on, get aggressive. She's six years old. And then, you know, like, they're yelling at the 14-year-old ref that's out there, just making minimum wage, trying to be a good person. <laughs> and then, God forbid, that a, some other child shoves your child down on purpose or accidentally or like wrestles with your kid uh, with the basketball on the floor. That parent is up and screaming and like, you want to kill that little six-year-old. <laughs> I know because I watch Cindy at these games of our grandkids. <laughs> We take love for one thing and, it, and we turn it into like almost hate for something else because we're so loyal to this. We can take love of country and turn it into scorn for immigrants. And that's not a, that's not a policy statement. It's a statement about the compassion in our hearts and, and what comes out of our mouths about people. We can take our own ethnic pride about our race or our history or our, our ancestry and we can turn it into contempt or stereotype of other ethnicities and races. We can take our love for the church and for Christians and we can turn it into condescension toward people who don't live by their faith. And we can take loyalty to the Raiders and turn it into hate for the Chargers. Now that's just wrong. And other good things. When Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan, he was challenging some of the deepest held beliefs that his listeners had. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you're going to love tenaciously, Jesus is going to challenge you in some of your most deeply held beliefs because he constantly redefined neighbor. Jesus also constantly surprised people with inclusion. He surprised people with inclusion because, remember, so many of the religious people of his day used religion to exclude. 
And yet Jesus included the sick, the possessed, the mentally ill, the rich and the poor, the unreligious and the very religious, the sinners and the saints. He included traitors. He included different religions and traditions. And if you, if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus constantly having to answer to the disciples and others around him. It's like when they're asking, like, why is he here? Why is she there? Why is she part of the circle? She's not in. She doesn't qualify. He's not part of us. Why are you spending time with that person or those people? That is not Christian faith. That is the ideology of the world. And it's our flesh that makes us want to exclude people. And this is one of the things that I think we have to get, we have to embrace and understand at a level that's, that is super challenging is the gospel changes this part about us. The gospel is that there's nobody so terrible that God, God's redemption through His Son could not redeem them, and there's nobody so good and so righteous that they don't desperately need the gospel. So none of us have the moral standing or the, the, uh, you know, the righteousness to say, you're out. That's a worldly thing. And religion, sans the gospel, does the same thing. When, when we start living like religious people rather than people that have been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we start to exclude people. We start to become Pharisees. Who, the Pharisees used the law, used the scriptures, used the words that they taught one another to exclude other. They said, here's the list of standards that you must meet, and if you don't meet them, you're not in. And I won't, I won't even look at you. I'll probably walk on the other side of the street. And Jesus was the total opposite of that. Don't hear that as compromise. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, what I'm doing is, and I think Jesus is doing this, it's like, this is the highest level of dedication to your faith that you could live. To live at a level where you could love people who are so different from you, whether they sit next to you in church or go to your church or whether they, they just don't go to church at all. God calls us to love like this. It's not, it's not about making people projects. It's about loving people and letting the gospel flow out of our lives and let them see it. You see, Jesus' command to love requires that we widen our circle, not narrow it. That we open our doors, the doors to our heart, the doors to our eyes, wider than we ever have before because our neighbors are not just across the ocean in some missionary field, our neighbors are right across the street. And we said it in the beginning of this series, if you really want to grow, you want to like, I really want to dig in and I want, I want my faith to go deep, then, then try loving somebody that's far beyond your capacity to love them. And I promise you, God will grow you. Uh, in March, uh, most of us have already forgotten this, but um, 
there were a couple of mass shootings in mosques in New Zealand. And one of the things our staff did, uh, led by Lisa, our outreach director, who's connected with the Interfaith Council here in the city, is we went and we stood in solidarity with them at a service that they held for the people in New Zealand. Now, we didn't change our belief. And, and you know what? The truth is, we both know we're trying to, if given the opportunity, we would evangelize one another, both of us. So that's a given. But that's not what that was about. The gospel's shoulders are big enough for us to go stand with a human being and say, you know, let's end that. We will love you even if you don't agree with us. Uh, we've talked about it here before where we have a memorial team. What we started noticing is that we, we were being asked pretty frequently to, to host memorial services for people who either didn't have a church, they don't go to church, their church wasn't big enough, and we formed a volunteer team to do this, and many of you are a part of that, and if you're not, this is a great way to love people. We say, we'll host your service, we'll put together your video, we'll do the music, we'll speak, We'll share the gospel, we'll bring comfort, we'll put on a reception for you, we'll do that. And you know, God has used that so many times here. I can recall like a, a couple years ago, a young uh, high school student here in the valley took his own life and we stood there with that family and it made a tremendous impact on them. And just recently we hosted one here where a mom died in childbirth. Has other kids, it's like, how tragic is that? And yet we say, we don't know you. Um, you might have different beliefs in us, but we can do this for you. See, our neighbor, the other, they, they are other Christians. Christians of a different type. There are barista. There are travel ball families. There are Muslims. They're Republicans, they're Democrats, they're socialists, they're capitalists, they're winery owners, they're single moms, they drive SUVs and they ride the bus. They're immigrants and Native Americans, and our neighbors come in all colors. Some of them speak English, some of them do not, some of them, some of them are wearing a fade, some still rock the mullet, some have skinny jeans, some are still wearing parachute pants, I know, some of them are charismatic, some of them are fundamentalists, and some of them truthfully are even Raider fans but we still love you anyway. We, the vision of this church is to deepen faith, bring hope, and live love because we think that deepen faith really should have a colon there. It's like if your faith deepens, if God fills you, if the gospel's operating in your heart and God's love is flooding into your soul, that you won't be able to stop bringing hope and you will live love. You will live a love that's far beyond the capacity that you ever dreamed that you could. It's why I love this uh, simple project that we're doing with Canning Hunger because these kids that have meals all week at the school, they go in the summer and a lot of these kids go hungry. You know, there are people just on the poverty line or under the poverty line and they just need one thing to change, like school ends, and they're going to go hungry. And this is a chance for us to fill up uh, uh, the Mission of Hope's pantry 
so that they can be there for these families. This is the partnership that we have with them. And you know, it has an added bonus that you'll have to talk to your neighbors. And I know, for some of us, that's like the biggest stretch of faith we've had in 20 years. But you know, tenacious love reaches toward those that are outside of our circle. I hope that every one of you will take a, a pack of those bags and you'll take the big, giant step of faith of actually talking to your neighbors. I know. Really high-level stuff here. But you can do it if you depend upon God and you allow His Spirit to fill you because He'll produce love in your heart. Now, as big of a challenge that is, I know that there are obstacles to that for many of us. And so I want to just wrap up by, just, I'm just going to click through. This is in the bottom of your notes. Um, I'm going to go pretty quickly here. But I know, like, the temptation here is to resist this. To accept it as preaching and not life living. And so what I, I just sat for a few minutes in preparing this message, and I thought, what are the obstacles for me? And that's why I've personalized them. So maybe these aren't your issues, but these are the reasons why I might find a rationalization why I might not do this, why I might not love outside of my circle. First of all, my hurried life. You know, hurried is not busy. Hurried is frantic. And when you're hurried, you miss people, don't you? You don't have time for this. I, I really believe that one of the reasons the priest and the Levite walked by the man taken by thieves, they were probably just busy. They're in a big hurry to get to the next thing that they might have to do. You know how to not be hurried? I'm, it's, it's one word. No. Thank you. Can we just practice that word? Let's do, all do it together. We're all going to say no. You ready? One, two, three. No. You did it. You see, you can do it. The only way that you will be able to make time for people is if you start saying no to some of the things that distract you from that. Now, life's busy. It is for everybody. But hurried will make you miss opportunities to love outside of your circle. Secondly, I'm a fortress protector, not a hospital worker. I'm a fortress protector, not a hospital worker. You know what? What's your view of the church? Is the church a place where we build walls so that we can have a fortress and we can be safe here? Or do we build walls and structures because we're a hospital? And the people that need what we have are not our enemy. They need help. You know, a, a hospital, again, I think people can hear that as compromise. It's not. You build a hospital, you, people don't come into the hospital and you say, oh, everything's fine with you, you know, it's like, yeah, you got this big thing. It's like, but you know, it's good, you know, a lot of people have that, and it's just, that's not what they do at a hospital. They say, hey, you came here, there's something wrong with you, let us help you. Here's what it is. It's not a compromise, it's the truth, but it's a different perspective of what who is welcome and why we exist. 
Jesus constantly faced pressure from his closest followers to not take time with people who needed help. And the Apostle Paul had to battle with his own home church to get them to like allow him to go out and share the gospel with people that need to hear it. You know the first casualty of an insider-focused church? The people that we're called to reach. If you think of the church as a fortress where you can come and be protected, you have the wrong picture. The church is a hospital. Thirdly, my limited view of discipleship. I'll go quickly on this one. Like when we talk about discipleship, we, like it's code for many Christians. I've learned this over the 40 years I've been a Christian. It's code for, um, I need to know more. G- give me a lot of Bible verses. You know what? I believe in discipleship. But do you know the Great Commission, which tells us to make disciples, it says to go. Discipleship begins with people who are far from God. It doesn't just pick up later in the story. It's all a process, but yet many times, I'm going to be very straight with you, people who use those words are using it in a way that is excluding people that are far from God. Just do more for me. People The church is a hospital, and discipleship begins with people that are far from God. And as we grow, and as we learn, and as God fills us, we develop a bigger heart for those people, not a smaller heart. The reason why this is, I'm so passionate about that issue is, you know, in 2005, this church had a split, and the split was over this. Are we going to reach people for Christ, or are we going to disciple them? It sounds really dumb now, doesn't it? God has called us to do both. It's as simple as that. We don't get to pick. Um, That split changed me. And I walked away from that period of my life. I walked with a limp because of that. You see, sometimes you say, Britt, why are you limping? It's because of that split. But I walked away better, and I walked away with two convictions that they were beliefs before, but, but out of that, they, I, I, they, they turned into convictions. One is, I will never compromise on the truth. I will teach the truth. I will say it to the Christian, and I will say it to the person that is far from God. I will always speak the truth. And secondly, I will never stop reminding the church of why we're here. We are here to share the gospel with this community and around the world. That's why we exist. And we have to do both. Amen? All right. Fourthly, uh, obstacle is I, I stopped growing. Yeah. Sometimes we think growing, I become so mature that I no longer can be bothered by those that are farther from God. I've had people say, where's the Bible study for me? Because I can't be, you know, I can't be in a Bible study with someone that doesn't know as much as me because they just hold me back. I've actually said, if you said that, I'm not trying to offend you. But um, Peter wrote about this. He said, when we're growing in our faith, something happens dynamic in us. And when we stop growing, when these things stop being added to our lives, we forget 
We forget that we were cleansed from our past sins. Do you know what that is? It's like we forget that we were saved, that we, that we became a Christian. That is not growth. Real growth, again, translates into a heart for people that are far from God. And lastly, an obstacle is, I, in truth, I've lost my first love. I've lost my first love. Uh, in Revelation, in the beginning, it, t- um, it talks about the different churches of that day and, and describes them. And here's, here's one in Revelation 2.1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who have claimed to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. It's like, you have done so many things well. You have stood in the tension. You have, you have like based your decisions on conviction, and you've endured. You've been a good person. You've been a good Christian. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. People, we can become so dedicated to our faith that we forget what our faith is about. You can have all the stuff down pat, but you can't forget your first love. Ouch. A few years ago, a number of years ago, I was at a Bible study in a home, and uh, somebody came to our door while we were having Bible study. And it was, a, it was some young people from a church in town that were doing door-to-door evangelism. And um, they came and said, you know, like, hey, we want to talk to you about it. Hey, we're Christians! We're studying the Bible right now. And, they, and then they said, well, okay, that's great. Um, are, you, so you know, the, you know the Lord, yes. You've been saved from your sins, yes. If, so if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I'm like, dude, I took that class. I know all these answers. <laughs> and, and so I was thinking about this and preparing this message. I was thinking about that moment. And like in my mind, I was like, dude, get off my, in my, off my doorstep. It's like, yeah, I got this down. Are you not listening? We're studying the Bible. We're Christians. Like, you just keep grinding me. And really what it was, I was just arrogant. And Because I was thinking, of course I'm a Christian. We're studying the Bible here, people. And you know what my answer should have been? Yeah. I'm a Christian. It's a miracle I'm a Christian. It's crazy, I know. I, I was this way, and then it's like, it's, it's unbelievable that I'm a Christian. Instead, inside my, of course I'm a Christian. Go away. God wants us to reach toward people that are unlike us because He did it with us. To love beyond our capability. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to sing. While they're coming, I want you to engage in one more exercise with me, okay? Let's all stand up.
And I, I, a lot of times I say here, I don't like to do weird, but I'm going to be totally weird now. So I get a couple of weirdo things a year besides just being weird. So I'm going to ask you to hold hands with the person next to you. That's only one level of weird. Okay? Now, there's some people that you're not connected to. So I want you to move so that you can all connect. Go ahead. Move your feet. I know it's hard to walk to the side. I want everybody holding hands. I know i got a limited amount of time. You can hold hands here. Nobody left out. Okay, so you know what? we got to widen the circle. So let's raise them up, and let's exhale and stretch out as far as you can. <sighs> Sorry about my breath. I haven't had a mint yet in the front row. Stretch it out as far as you can. Come on, stretch it out. Stretch it way out. Yeah. Okay, good job. Okay, this is the picture. Tenacious love reaches out. It stretches. We got to make our circle wider. And you know what? We're not done yet. You got to blow a little room and then let go. Blow, for, move further out. You see that space in between you? That's for that person that God is going to call you this week to love tenaciously. You just made room for them. Let's make room for them in this church. Let's pray.